Welcome to the Misplaced Socks podcast. In this series, Nate and Matt, two White Sox loving brothers, give their opinions, thoughts, and break down the week that was and the week that will be in White Sox baseball. Here are your hosts, Nate and Matt. Welcome to episode 5 of Misplaced Socks. Just a couple of fans talking about our favorite sport and our favorite team. I'm Nate, he's Matt. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at RealCoachRusty, and he's... Matthew Ice 3 On today's episode, we're going to talk about the Seattle series, which then led almost immediately into the Royals series, if you can call it a series at this point. And then we actually just finished up the first game of the Cleveland series. With that being said, let's go ahead and dive into quick hits. So, the Mariners and Sox picked up on Monday, April 5th. The Sox walked away with a 6-0 win over the Mariners. That happened to be Rodon's first outing of the season. He went out there for five innings, gave up two hits, three walks, nine Ks, no earned runs, which is a good sign for him. The Soxie Grandal hit a home run, and the team goes three for nine with runners in scoring position, and they left nine on base. We talk about this because this has become a recurring theme. The next night, they were went back out there in Seattle and got back to 500 winning the game 10 to 4. Giolito night sees him goes 5 and a third with 10 Ks, one walk, four hits, three earned. Um so-so outing in terms of the numbers, but more than enough to get the job done. Collins hits a three-run homer. Luis gets a homer on the board. Jose gets another grand slam. And in this game with runners in scoring position, the Sox actually go 2 for 11. They actually end up leaving 7 on base. Overall, good game for the Sox. The next night on Wednesday, the Sox go out there and looking for the sweep, they do that thing that they have done to us almost all season long and completely let us down. They end up losing that game 8-4. to four. Late lead spoiled. The 6th sees a 7 spot. Keuchel goes out there, five innings, four hits, gives up three earned with three walks and three Ks. Not a super strong outing, serviceable, uh, but not the Keuchel that we're used to. We actually end up going two for nine and leaving nine on base, um, two for nine with the runners in scoring position. So not a a splendid night. You can see where we only scored four, and we gave up uh, some defensive miscues again. Then we come back home for the home opener on Thursday. The place was rocking. You love to see it. Sox get the 6 nothing win behind a Lance Lynn complete game shutout. That man walked off the mound looking like Ric Flair. And Woo! the, the Yermeen ball that is an absolute moonshot. It, if that place exactly. had been to capacity, I, I don't know that it would still be standing. You know, is that I think that's still the longest to, to this day, the longest home run in the MLB so far, yeah? 
so far this year, he's had a couple of guys give him his uh, run for his money, but I think he does lead. You'd have to check the stat cast numbers, but I think he leads in distance. Yeah, so it's, it went 485, and I don't think anybody's quite gone that far yet. So that was not just a, a product of being at home for the first time and the crowd getting going. That thing was an actual rocket. And just add it to the legend. The um, legend continued tonight even. It's great. I, you know, at, at what point, what do you think it's going to take for us just to say, okay, it's not a hot start anymore. He's just, obviously he's not going to hit 500 for the season, but I think he has an incredible approach and I think he hits really well with two strikes and he's always been an on base guy in the minors. So he's just a good hitter. At what point are we just going to say, yeah, he's just a good hitter. We as a fan base. I, I think if he's still doing this near the all-star break, I think we have enough grounds to go, yep, we're we're ready to give him his due. That's that being said, time. that That's is a long time. time. That's a good sample size. We'll come back yeah. to that. Yeah. So we actually end up getting the off day on Friday, and we got an accidental off day on Saturday as the rain came down. They called the game relatively early, which was a good sign. And so the Sox come back out on Sunday, the 11th, and they fought. It was like they fought themselves that entire game. Went up one nothing, and then just tied it. They saw it get tied up. They fell behind. They jumped ahead. You see Liam Hendricks come out, and you go, "This game's over." And the story of that game to me was the ball seemed like it was getting just absolutely rocketed and then it just wasn't traveling and then you get the Santana home run where he gets under it and I'm going no way no that's an easy pop-up to Luis and it finds a way over the fence they go to extras Kansas City executes the sacrifice bunt which the Sox were unable to do in the bottom of the ninth they get Benintendi with the safety squeeze they get the job done as Crochet spikes it into the ground and looks like he's playing grenades or lawn darts, as Steve Stone mentioned. And so the Sox then come up empty again. That game is the infamous 1-for-15 with runners in scoring position. They took a ridiculous... It's only nine walks across the team, but it felt like a ridiculous number of walks. It felt like they were always with somebody on base, and... Runners in scoring position, 1 for 15, kind of speaks to that. Eaton gets the home run in the bottom of the eighth. Pinch hit, come in, you know, like Adam Eaton does, leading the team in slugging, leading the team in home runs, because he's a monster. Yep, as an Adam Eaton do. That was a Dylan Cease start. He only goes four and two-thirds, ends up with three walks, six Ks, and the one earned. So it's... It is hard to blame Cease for any of that because all of that stuff happened late. Kopech comes in, shuts it down, is awesome. And it's really the story there ends up being everybody that comes after Kopech between Bummer, Hoyer, Hendricks, Crochet. Um, not a f- fantastic turnout. But we fall back under 500 at that point. And then 
Cleveland comes to town, and we see the Sox pull out a five to th- or four to three, excuse me, win. Walk off in the ninth. The walk off Bean Yasmani in the back of the helmet is as he's running to second. Ball goes into left field, and Madrigal, the pinch runner, scores. I've seen a walk off a number of different ways. I don't know if I've seen that happen, at least not in a long time. So that was um, I was really gearing up for a Yermin hit there to end it or really anything to happen, even have it go to extras. I, I was not <laughs> mentally prepared to see the game end in that fashion. I'll just say that. So the, the shine of the win, maybe it hasn't hit me yet. I'm excited, but it still feels weird. It, it, it feels weird because we're so far in this 10 games that we have played, we are so used to seeing the Sox be the ones to implode in the eighth inning or later. So it feels super weird because we just witnessed a different team do it. It wasn't us. It was the other team that made the defensive miscue, threw it off the runner's helmet, and then cost them the game. Yeah, this- that's um, what's that say about getting used to the errors for the Sox? I'm so used to it that now it seems uh, misplaced, as some would put it. Right. Exactly. I see what you're doing there. Picking up what you're putting down. Thank you. Thank you. The Sox go two for five with runners in scoring position, leave five on. The numbers there don't stand out in a large fashion, but if you were watching the game, the numbers stand out for the fact that At one point, we had bases loaded, no outs, and we get no runs. We can't manufacture a single run out of it. We get the Yermin strikeout at that point, and then you get the Yasmani ground ball, double play. And for me, that is kind of the story at this point for the Sox up up to this point. So... Let's start with the Seattle series. So the Sox start out, they come in at 2-3. and three. They effectively, after the first game, they effectively beat up the Mariners. Things look good. Rodon comes out, looks strong. And there's a few things to kind of note out of that game. Um, no TA for that game after the... Angel series tweaking the hammy. He should be back on Thursday is what it sounds like is what I was reading. Yeah, I saw uh, that too. Madrigal leads off. Robert bats second. And for as strong as Rodon looked, the thing that impressed me the most that he hasn't been able to do over the last couple of years is he got into a few jams, and then because he's a pitcher, he got himself out of them. He found a way to work around everything at that point. Outside of that, we get the shutout. Um, the note that I have, lots of good at-bats by the guys that evening. Uh, between Robert and Mancata, it, it didn't produce a lot of hits. In that game, they had a total of, they produced 10 hits. I mean, they went double digits. 
So the at-bats are good in that sense, but they also, they only turned up four walks, but part of getting that 10 hits is putting together some pretty good at-bats. Yeah, and it's not going to be the flip of a switch that we all want it to be, right? I mean, as the guys seem to figure it out a little bit more and more, hopefully it'll come, but it's not going to be one day they're not hitting and the next day they are. Right. At least not usually. Right. Other notes from that game. Uh, Kopech is an actual monster. He may not actually be human. I'm not certain at this point. And Jose looks to be pressing to me uh, at that point. I'll put it this way. At that point, watching Jose at the plate, it was very evident that he was trying to single-handedly carry the team. He has nine RBIs this year, which leads the team, and eight of them are from Grand Slams. I mean, that's one way to stack them up. He got a hold of two really, really poor sliders over the plate, took those yards, Got eight of the nine RBIs, but really he has, as you said, been pressing and struggled to this point because of that. He, I mean, he's laying off, he's not laying off the pitches that you see or you saw the MVP layoff of last year. And I think that's a big part of it is uh, a lot of those balls down and inside are getting to him. And I think it's because he's trying to swing so much for power or trying to just yank everything into left field because he wants to get on base or he wants to contribute. Who doesn't want to, but I think he's putting the weight too much on his shoulders. I'm fully on board on the Jose pressing issue now. And it, it just like the, the at bats that he's putting together. And I believe it was in the home opener they kind of talked about he's been chasing the ball a lot more. And that was one of the staples or one of the mainstays for him last year was not. That's why he punished so many pitchers last year is because he, he didn't. Made, he made them throw it. He made right. them throw it to him. Made them bring it to him. And so far this year he hasn't done it. But we're early. Um, the The offense kind of has to sort itself out a little bit before I think he'll be completely comfortable. I think we'll still see a little bit of pressing at moments, but I think he's starting to see the other guys around him starting to come around. Yoan starting to look a little bit better. He's it's hard because the when you watch Yoan before today, he never really looks like he's doing that great at bat to at bat. I've seen some of the numbers floating around on. Twitter mostly that indicate that he's still putting together a solid year so far. But when you just watch him, it just doesn't look as solid yet. Yeah. And I don't want to forever go back and blame COVID, but I saw on Reddit, some guy was likening it to when he had COVID and granted he made the disclaimer that, He's obviously not a professional athlete, and and he's also in his 30s. Um, But it took him a good six, seven, eight months to even get back to going into doing some light jogging. And before then, he was running marathons. I mean, he, he just he would run 60, 70 miles a week. And then to not even be able to run a mile or two after six, seven months, 
and not being a professional athlete. He was he was commending uh, Moncada for even being out there last year and playing through the obvious struggle that he was playing with. So the question is, are there still some lingering effects? Is he still not 100%? Is it then maybe not anything to do with that? Is it maybe that I, I think it was a knee issue? There's some lower body issue, which Moncada has been unfortunately um, prone to in his young career. But he had something in spring training, and you wonder. Uh, his sprint speed His sprint speed is down. And does that have something to do with the, the lower body? And like Stoney always likes to say, if your lower body's not right, you're not going to hit right. All the pieces got to go together, right? So... But they, it, things around Jose seem to be starting to come together. You have Luis Robert putting together much better at-bats at this point. Is hey, it don't sustainable? Sound so, don't sound so su- surprised about it. I'll tell you all about why you should be surprised about that here in a little bit. Uh, otherwise, uh, Jose Ruiz came out in that same game, and he got more innings of confidence building he looked pretty good in those innings too and i thought that was huge for him we haven't seen him since which is maybe both good and bad um you know he hasn't got to stack on the good feeling innings but at the same time we're not trying to march him out there in high leverage situations just yet so (laughs) the no defensive miscues no free outs no extra pitches i think that made a huge difference for Carlos, and I think that made a huge difference for the team. Um, that was one of the first games where we didn't have a, at the very least, a mental lapse that cost our starting pitcher more pitches. Yeah, I think one of the only other games we didn't have an error in, I looked at this a little bit earlier, was that 7-4 loss on Sunday Night Baseball. Now, we didn't have an error, but like you said, the mental lapses, the base running issues, the things that have troubled the Sox still found a way to end up in not winning that game. So right. errors are not, they're still having some issues with basic baseball things. Exactly. Other than that, the the Seattle series, the tough part is, is we get two or three, we don't get the sweep we have a little bit of a we had a little bit of a getaway game right we lose that game and it's very against the mariners especially when they're missing a couple of dudes that shouldn't happen but when you've been out on the west coast for probably more than a week at that point and you know that you're going back home for the home opener you get the getaway game every once in a while so Fall below 500 again at that point, so be it. Then we get the Royals come to town. And where the Sox won the series against the Mariners, which is a series they should win, and one of the stories of last year was beating the teams that you should beat, right? I personally still view the Royals, while they're sneaky, I still view them as a team that we should beat. And... We played ourselves out of a split at that, or played ourselves into a split 
and played ourselves out of a series win at that point. Yeah, I. they hit the ball really well. They've got guys that can manufacture runs, and, and it's Matheny, right? Their yes. manager. Matheny seems to kind of have some of that old-school willingness to play small ball and, and manufacture those things. Um, and as much as they played themselves into that win, the Sox played themselves out of it. But they hit the ball well. The Royals hit the ball pretty well, and they... Um, they find a way to scratch some out, and that's just how they're going to be all year, all year long, I have a feeling. Now, their real struggles, and it, this is the opposite of how I would have viewed it at the beginning of the year, before the year, their struggle actually comes in their rotation. They have got, they've got some veterans that have had good days, but I think they're past them. So it's really for them, it's going to be, can they get some of their pitching to click a little more often than maybe is anticipated? And that's I, when you are playing against teams that are not only willing, but can execute those little things to win themselves ball games. And you are not playing fantastic. You're not playing, I would say, even league average defensively. You're going to get beat. That's that's how it happens. That's why it happens. I so, even go so far as to say they're playing league bottom in defense i don't know exactly where they stand on errors per game and um, some of those metrics for uh, some of those metrics defensively but i would say the Sox are probably pretty close to the bottom at this point unless it's just pure confirmation bias of watching primarily Sox games and not every other game it, it probably is a little bit of confirmation bias just simply because we're we're hyper-focused on our team. Um, but at the same time, that's it's going to be magnified, but it doesn't change the fact that they're probably... I mean, our eyeballs tell us this is not a, a great defensive team at the moment, and I would say that the eye test still matters a bunch. So when you can look at them and go, yeah, they're not great defensively, the numbers probably bear that out. Will that improve? I have a feeling, but when you are streaming at best left fielders, and right now we're kind of streaming infielders too, since Tim is out, you're kind of inviting that at this point. And to start the season, we've kind of been streaming guys all over the place anyway, so you're going to invite a little bit of that. Yeah, I am going to go against the grain here a little bit and say that mind Vaughn not playing in left field. You you don't mind it. I don't mind it that much. I I mean obviously if you're going to keep him up, you want him to get reps. I and I think your mean makes the decision to not play him that much more interesting and difficult because if your mean wasn't hitting like he is and playing like he is in general, uh, Vaughn would be your everyday DH most likely to try to get at bats in. But we're not that far into the season where I think we can start saying where we wasted a service time year of having him ride the pine. I think La Russa might be 
sitting back wondering, okay, when's your mania going to cool off? And if he doesn't ever cool off, that's great for the Sox. If he does cool off, you slot Vaughn in. Uh, so I think that's where the the patience of Larusa is coming in to help a lot. The I think the big danger there is is it's without getting Vaughn out there and getting him regular exposure, you're not really gaining anything by slotting him in for your mean, should your mean slump at all. Because you're just putting a guy out there that is cold and so far has not done fantastic work. So it's not like you're taking a guy that's lukewarm and putting him in for a guy that's cold. You're kind of taking, you know, one out of the chest, the ice chest while you're putting the other one in. Yeah, I I mean, I still think he can get slotted in on uh, full off days like that last game of the, I believe the last game of the Mariners, we had a pretty pretty significant what seemed like an off day where Grendahl didn't go and um, there's a couple other starters that were either injured or just they sat him for that day. Makata might not have gone that day either, but you have him getting in on those days. You have him getting in maybe as a break for Abreu at some point, which, you know, now that I think about it, Abreu could use a one a one-off i think give him a day off let vaughn go play first and see how jose is able to clear his mind come back after that that might not be the worst thing in the world but giving him giving him some time off at first um or even slotting him into dh and and vaughn playing first uh, some more reps in left field Uh, however you can slot him in is great to keep him and try to get him as many because I'm not saying I don't want Vaughn to play at all. What I'm saying is I don't think he needs to play every day because the eventually we're going to figure out what exactly we have. It's still early and and it could just be a, a shot in the in the dark here with your mean, unfortunately. But I don't think so. I think your mean is the greatest White Sox of all time. So I think he's going to keep hitting all the way through that all-star break. I I would love to see it. So, speaking of defensive issues, as we've kind of been talking about, and kind of that streaming of left fielders and streaming of infielders, um, you have a belief that this is a little bit to do with defensive shifts. Yeah, and before I get into that, I just want to say... Steve Stone and I are best friends now. Uh, we talk regularly. And um, I ran this idea by him or this question by him, and he completely disagreed with me. So it made me step back and look at it just a little bit, and you called me a homer for doing so. But I'm taking a little more middle ground on this. Now, the idea is that the Sox are shifting... At the time, it was 9%. Now it's up to 16.2% so far, which is 29th in the majors. Not a lot. And I know there was a post on Reddit that brought it to my attention um, how low the shift percentage rate was, uh, joking about how it's not 1980 anymore and how the MLB is trending towards this uh, 
massive shifts to play individual batters. And that's great. And I agree with it. I think it needs to be done more by the Sox, but I'm wondering if and how much it has to do with the errors that the Sox have been committing throughout the entire season, because I don't think it's not relevant, but I also don't know exactly to what extent it plays because I mean, the premise of the shift is that you're putting your players in a better position to make a play on baseballs hit more often in those areas. How could that not help your fielders have to run less or square get get quicker and squared up on the ball better, make a better throw, put them in a better position? I think that if the Sox were higher in shift percentage, they would have fewer errors. Again, don't know how many. But I think I I believe that to be true. And at this point in the in the season, those errors have cost us ball games. And that's a I mean, whole ball games because of some some errors occurring in the game is is significant. I mean, it's a, it's been a good portion of the season so far. So um, I don't know. I think that I'd like to see it increase. From 20, I mean, league average would be great at this point because 29th in the majors is is pretty uh, is subpar for that. the The difficult part for me, and I, I I don't have any numbers here in front of me, but the difficult part for me is the the optics. My eyeballs when I watch them, the eyeball test, it's not. The defensive miscues that we've had are not a a fielder gets to the ball and they're rushing to get the throw off because they got to try and beat the guy. It's not, oh, I had to range way to my right and now I'm thrown from my knees and I accidentally Javi Baez one into the first base dugout. It's a lot of it is just either A, we don't know where we're going with the ball or B, we just completely brick the throw and a couple of them too are um like zach collins not blocking a ball and then the ball gets by and costs us runs and extra pitches on like drop third strike that's an error that's a defensive miscue and it's there's no shift for that there is just he didn't get over on it and he didn't block it and the ball gets by so it's hard for me to look at it and go, yes, we shift more, we eliminate that, and things are hunky-dory. Because I don't I don't know how much of a difference that ends up making. I think shifting more maybe eliminates some of the hits that we're giving up. So I don't know that it necessarily improves our defensive error situation, but I think maybe it takes away a few more hits, which is taking away a few more opportunities from the other team. That being said, I don't know how many of the hits that we've given up would actually be saved by having the defensive shift on. Yeah, I mean, I agree as far as the eye test that many, if not most, of the errors that we have made are just like technical mistakes as far as being able to throw from point A to point B. Um 
so I would agree that it it, it loses some rel the, the shifting idea loses some relevance there. But I mean, uh, magical getting a ball hit to him at second and then turning to throw for a double play and just missing that throw. You and I both know that fielding is 50% footwork and 50% being able to have hand-eye coordination to throw the ball from point A to point B. So getting him in a better spot to run into that ball or whatever it is could have helped. Not saying it did it was the reason he didn't make the throw, but there's a lot to that, that if you just tweak their positioning a little bit, you might have them making a better play on the ball and coming into the throw a little bit better in a different way, more squared up closer or with the hips turned towards second, a little bit more. Yeah. Towards second, a little bit more. I, it's a question. I don't know the answer to fully. I, I just don't think it could hurt. To shift more for that reason and i i would agree with that the see that play you're saying shifting perhaps maybe helps that's for me that's a perfect example of i don't care that we did or didn't shift there because the proper play is not go to second the proper play is go to first yeah and that's, that's not that's true there's no amount of shift for that right like that's, yeah, that's just a mental, us. that's a mental mistake you're exactly. right exactly yeah so it you're right in the sense that maybe if we shift there, things are a little bit different because maybe we shift and Madrigal's further back towards the outfield grass and he never has the opportunity to think about going to second for two and he's just in the position of the proper plays go to first and that's it. It's an accidental proper procedure, but it's still proper procedure. So, tailing on to the statistics that are not ideal for us, you have some other relevant-ish stats you kind of wanted to touch on. Yeah, I alluded to the whole Luis Robert looking better in his at-bats thing, and I was just kind of perusing some of the team stats today. So, for Luis, he is second on the team in hits behind Yermin, which is tied with Abreu. He's tied for the most doubles. He's third on the team in walks uh, and also strikeouts. He has the highest average exit velocity on the team. Um, and in most other hitting statistics, I didn't want to go through all of them. He is uh, right around third third on the team. So your mean obviously is taking the cake for first place on most of those at this point. But he's right there behind uh, or one or two spots behind your mean and all of those. So I, I think all of those stats tell a pretty, um, pretty straightforward story that he is thriving in that second spot in the order, which he's been in for most of the regular season games so far. And he is, uh, maybe he has a new approach or whatever it is, but he's, he's really starting to, I think, uh, come into, some better approaches and plate appearances so far. Now, for the Sox as a team, so the Sox are currently sixth in the league in runs scored and RBIs, um, which is surprising seeing as how we leave so many runners on base that were that high in RBIs, but um, 
I think a that hurt that shows how much the defensive lapses are actually hurting us and and not just affecting ball games but losing them altogether, and how much uh, offensive production we're getting from some of those home runs or those grand slams that that we're hitting that are two three four run hits or four run bombs. And so, yeah, to to that end. I just kind of want to jump in real quick. Looking at it, over the last week, we are 15 of 59 with runners in scoring position. That's a 1-5 divided by a 5-9. So we're almost a little over 250 with runners in scoring position. So our expected outcome right now is... One out of every four batters, if we have a runner in scoring position, might produce a run. And that's, you only get three uh, outs. Yeah, how many outs are in anything? That was what I was going to ask. That doesn't bode well for getting runners across. It's No. That is an abysmal average for runners in scoring position. And this is a team, and it has a couple of guys on the team that, like guys like Abreu, that are known for hitting runners in coming in and even with two down coming in and getting that, that hit to get that runner across so that it is puzzling to see that stat right for me at least. And we are last year, we did a great job of situational hitting. Like you said, we are almost a pure slug team at this point. Last year, we did a much better job of situational hitting and I have seen every so often where we hit relatively well, situational, and I've seen this year where it's less than good. Um, for example, <laughs> no outs, bases loaded, and we get no runs. We need a ball, a ball to the outfield, and to to lighten a little bit of the burden on your mean on his strikeout. That pitch missed by a mile. Yeah. But you have to give credit to Perez there because the way that he received that ball and the way that he made sure that the umpire could still see it and watch it come through is the reason that Quantrill gets that call and is the reason yeah, a, that Yermin gets to sit down. It was a great frame job. Um, I saw somebody say that the all the networks should remove the K zone from all the broadcasts and you'd have a lot happier fans. I, th- I think that is a great, in, it's a, it's very indicative of that same sentiment that we didn't see the K zone there. That frame job may have even fooled a lot of the people at home, you know? So some context it- of, of us sitting on the couch and being able to have the convenient strike zone there makes it feel a lot worse than maybe it actually should feel. Right. And it's it's tough, right? You want the game to be more interactive, but you, you're inviting criticism and pressure at that point. And to that end a little bit, too, you have a lot more informed fans at this point, too, with the, the introduction of that K-Zone. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I'm trying to remember if I even there was ever a time I 
remember watching baseball without it. I, I guess I remember the broadcast without it. I, I'm so used to having it now that it I, doesn't really stand out to me that there was ever a time without it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we had it for so long. You try and remember what it's like to watch a game without it, and then they don't have it up for a pitch or two, and you're like, where the heck is it? So, any other stats you want to throw out there while we're talking about the relevance? Yeah, um, just a, a few more team stats. So, the, the team is tied for fourth in the league in stolen bases, which I think is awesome. We have the speed uh, from some of our guys. And we need to keep pressing the gas on taking second. And even I think Luis might have taken third in one of his steals. So just keep running. Um, I've always thought that teams that you not just had speed, but utilized it, were going to succeed a lot more. Now, that puts a runner in scoring position in a lot of cases. So we got to start hitting those guys in. But oh, we, we got to not do that then. Yeah, nope, just stay on first. We, we got a better chance. Sit on first, you're going to be fine. Um, Sox are third in the in the majors in on-base percentage and ninth in OPS. Uh, so a little closer to middle of the road there, but um, on-base percentage just shows the amount of walks that they're getting, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But um, I think this one's really important as well. The Sox are second in the majors in ground outs per, oh, uh, per air out average. You need the ball in the air. Uh, if you if you put it in the air, good things are going to happen with this team. The ground the ground ball rate for us right now is really hurting us. Uh, and then kind of to quick go back to the shifting, that's ground balls hit into a shift usually are part of the the three outcomes that are now seen in baseball usually end up in being an out. So uh, getting the ball up, and I think we started to see it in these last, the, the, the abbreviated Royal Series and tonight, getting the ball in the air, starting to get some more of those sacrifice flies to move runners over and, and get them in without some of those productive outs that you're talking about uh, is really going to help this team. And one of the biggest perpetrators is Jose Abreu right now is hitting everything dead center up the middle and teams have shifted against him. So that uh, I think when that changes the season, it really, or uh, maybe not the season, but kind of the aura surrounding this team as far as hitting runners in is going to change dramatically. And that's, that's a good point, right? I mean, Jose Abreu, such a perfect approach. He's hitting everything back up the middle, but unfortunately he's so reliable in doing so, they just went, well, we'll stack the middle. Yeah, he's gone from reliable to predictable really fast. And I think that it's not a long-term trend. He's a smart enough and capable enough hitter to start. I mean, they're, they are shifting heavy against him. It's not a three-step over kind of thing. It's that the shortstop is sitting on second base. Second baseman's two steps from, from first, and the third baseman's covering short. Like, it's it's dramatic. And I think he's going to start hitting inside out and just kind of blooping some balls into left field and hopefully start 
making teams have to make a tough decision on how they want to play him. Hopefully. I hope that's the case. Um, to kind of tag on to what you're talking about a little bit, uh, I was listening to the Good Guys Talk Back podcast for the Sox, and the, one of the stats that they threw out there is the Sox score five or more runs in games that they have at least one home run. So getting the ball in the air, number one, good for productive outs, but number two, good for getting those home runs. And so getting the ball in the air, going to lead to success. And games where they have to manufacture runs, games like that Royals game the other day, we got we took the lead on the home run, but when it came time to, and most of that game was pretty much time to, manufacture runs where we're not going to get that home run. So we either need to hit that ball to the right-hand side to get the guy in, or we need to get the ball to a sack fly position. The Sox only score just a little over two runs. Like the disparity there is three runs per game. And then you're talking about less than a league average starters ERA worth of runs. So if Cease's average at best, if Rodon returns to the the median and becomes pretty good five starter but closer to league average, those are games that unless we're hitting dingers, which hopefully we're facing fours and fives at that point too and we can start consistently hitting ding, dingers off of them, um, we're probably not winning those games. And if the Sox have aspirations of playoffs – and they have aspirations of much larger victories, such as a World Series. They they have to find ways to win those games. Um, the quote that I have heard several times this week is Hawk Harrelson talking about, you're going to win 60, you're going to lose 60. It's the other 42 in there that really define a team. And right now, the I made this comparison, I believe it was on the last last week's episode, the the 05 Sox made a point to put each and every one of those 42 games into the W column. So far early this season, we have more than found ways to make sure those are going in the L column. Tonight is one where we came away with it, but we also didn't do the things we needed to do to make sure that it ended up in the W column, apart from our bullpen coming in and keeping everything right where it should be. By the bullpen, you kind of mean Hoyer tonight came in and was lights out. Hoyer came in, was lights out. Bummer was uh, underwhelming. And Marshall came in. Marshall did a good job. Marshall, I thought Marshall did great tonight, yeah. yeah. His, his stuff was li- uh, it was alive tonight, for so, sure. Things are, things are starting to come around. Um going back to the offensive side of things you've been talking about where some of our stats rank the the k's have come significantly down in i would say probably the last four games we went you have a guy when you have a guy not having a platinum sombrero that really helps yeah i mean that'll bring your average back down real quick we went from leading the league in k's and being tied with the frickin' Diamondbacks to now we're tied with the Yankees and Phillies at 16th. So we're 
we're a lot closer to middle of the pack, which is with this offense is serviceable. Well, we can survive that most of the time. That being said, we were tied <laughs> with the Dodgers for first place in walks. Now we actually lead that statistic by three walks as of the recording of this episode. So we're talking 54 walks to 90 strikeouts. We're still two strikeouts for every walk at this point. Close to, we're a little under. But What's the league average for that? I guess uh, walk to strikeout ratio. Yeah, I would yeah. take a look at maybe Fangraphs or Savant, but I would assume league average is probably going to be close to two. So we're probably a little bit below average at that point. But the point being, over the last week or so, we have seen the Sox take an approach that was hack at everything and not as successfully or watch things go by. And turn it into, we're going to spit on bad pitches, we're going to get our runners on, and we're going to take our chances. Now, that being said, <laughs> having all kinds of walks is not a trend that's going to serve us well when we go 15 for 59 with runners in scoring position and leave 50 of them on base. When you have 53 guys that walk and then you leave 50 of them on base, that's not a winning formula. So we'll have to see that get tightened up a little bit. That being said, while you're looking that up, the the walks and the runners left on, runners in scoring position, that's probably going to normalize a little bit as we see guys start to hit again. That's one of the one of the downsides to taking so many walks, right? Is you have a situation where if you're walking, you're not hitting. And if you're not hitting, it's kind of hard to drive guys in. It's not like we have a lot of teams going out there and just walking the bases loaded and then walking runs in. So. Yeah. I So I'm seeing a lot of um, pitcher walks per or walk to strikeout ratio. Right. Um, I may have just. So the White Sox in 2021 so far have a. 3.12 strikeouts per walk, which is up there. Um, they're at seventh place, and the Yankees lead at 5.74 strikeouts per walk. So still in the top third of the league there as far so, as that goes. Some work to be done. I Again, I, I think we'll actually see our position climb up. In that case, as we start to see us hit a little bit more, we're going to swing a little bit more. It's going to lead to swing and miss. That's, It's kind of the nature of our lineup outside of Madrigal, outside of Yasmani, and outside of Yermin. Um, we have pretty good swing and miss potential at this point. So we'll, we'll probably see our rank in that stat climb up, which is not good, but that should in turn actually lead to a few more runs being scored, which should then equal... W's. So we'll see what you happens. Mancata is the, I think, patient zero for the need to swing the bat and be willing to. I mean, we just talked about the platinum sombrero issue, which was was his doing. But uh, 
a lot of those, as we've talked about before, are him looking at pitches, not swinging at them. So being a little more aggressive at the plate is going to benefit him, even if it means he's going to have some of those strikeouts. So uh, he, he, he is, is still seemingly starting to get it going, though. So we'll see. We'll see how he goes. Right. He is still the best version of himself when he is hitting the baseball. So Correct. Okay. That being said, I think it's time to wrap things up. Taking a look forward for the Cleveland series, we actually saw Dallas Keuchel pitch tonight. And Keuchel came out, and I saw some people on Twitter were knocking him a little bit. Um, was it a fantastic outing? He did pretty well. He gave up the homer early to uh, Eddie Rosario, and then he kind of locked in for a little bit. He got into a little bit of trouble in, I believe it was the fifth, and some people started knocking him. Listen, the dude came in on effectively two hours' notice. Now, I have to believe he knew earlier than that that it was a possibility, so he had to kind of, in the back of his mind, be preparing a little bit. But the dude came in when your alternatives were either you bring Giolito up a day and then you have to have Keuchel or whoever face Bieber or you have to go bullpen day with, like I said in a few replies, we have a hell of a stretch still coming. We're in the middle of it and we have a, it's it goes for a little while. Taxing our bullpen like that is... It's part of what made last year really tough on some of the guys. So not really an enticing option at this point when we have to play 162 and we're 116th into it. Yeah, and the bullpen has not shown that they're capable of going on plenty rest, let alone no rest right now. So turning to them as the as what we had hoped to be a constant this early in the season could spell... Um, injuries in the getting closer to the middle of the season it could just kind of wear these guys out to where they're not in it for the long haul so i i the bullpen day we talked a little bit about it and who we who we would have picked to go and all those things i think it was absolutely the right call to shift the starters around instead of going on a, a full bullpen day yeah i think full bullpen day was probably last resort press the big red button um the the other wild card out there that we kind of talked about was and this is one of my main replies that i put out there is you can not keichel all you want for his start tonight i thought it was pretty good given the circumstances but your alternative really was Ronaldo lopez and if you tell me you're gonna get dallas keichel and give me that start or you're going to get Ronaldo Lopez on Pandora's box. <laughs> right. On whatever he's going to give you. I will take the Keuchel day. We still have to figure out. So we have Giolito versus Bieber tomorrow. And it's one of those, this is going to be ace versus ace. Like expect, I expect a probably two to zero ball game for the Sox. That's I'm calling it now. I think Cleveland needs to be on no-hitter watch because I think Giolito is going to come out and do well. Yeah, um, I, I agree. He's going to do well. That's <laughs> I don't I don't mind the bold prediction, but that's uh, that's hefty for him. 
the Cleveland's offensive stats, they're in the bottom half of runs scored. They're near the bottom in, of the league in strikeouts, so they're hard to strike out, which is something that Giolito is generally relying on. He is excelling in right now. Right. And they're top third of the league in walks. We'll see how that plays against Giolito's stuff. But when we're talking on-base percentage, they're near the middle of the league. So if they're bottom of the league in strikeouts, near the top of the league in walks, that means all of their batted ball events are generally turning into outs more often than not. Right. I also, going back to the matchup really quick between Bieber and Giolito, I think as far as a entertainment value, it was going to be very, very hard to pull Giolito out of that spot. Ever because it's a that is a huge pitching matchup for the league, not just for the Sox and Indians. You know, I think for as much as it would be great for the league, I don't think Tony and the front office are looking at it going, "Well, the league's numbers need to go up, so we got to keep Bieber and Giolito together." I one of the arguments that I made is. It would be really tough for me to watch Giolito go tonight against McKenzie, who is effectively the fifth starter for Cleveland. Not even really a starter, more just an opener. And yeah, I don't really under- understand his role. I I think it's will be starter eventually. I think they're still in the process of getting him stretched out. Okay. If we were to take Crochet or we were to take Hoyer or we were to take Kopech and try and put them in the starting lineup, this is what we would have to be trying to do with them. Yeah. I I responded to another person about Kopech today, by the way, asking how long until he goes into the lineup. And I'm, I asked that question myself, so I can't be too uh, upset at when other people do, but I'm starting to get to the point where I've heard enough and seen enough and, and understand enough to know that it ain't happening this year. There would have to be an absolute nuclear bomb go off for him to somehow end up in the, the starting rotation. Which is, it's a good position to be in, right? There's no reason yeah, he needs absolutely. to go out there into the no, rotation. It's, it's not, it, it's not too like he is struggling in a reliever role. It's the exact opposite. He's doing really well. So, uh, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm losing patience, I guess, with the people that are not just wondering out of curiosity what he would look like, but wanting to replace the starters right now. I don't think it's mostly been questions about Cease. And Cease has not been bad. He has bad innings, but he's had good outings, kind of like Keichel. Keichel tonight, he gave up three earned runs. The Sox should be scoring more than three earned runs on a, any given night. That is, like you said, that's a serviceable ball game where we can get a win. And we did tonight. We found a way to win it. So, hopping, it's, I guess it's less about Kopech and where he goes and, and more for me about having a little more patience and um, letting these guys get a few starts under their belt before you start wanting to rip them out of the rotation. Exactly. So, We've got Bieber, Giolito tomorrow. Wednesday was supposed to be Keuchel Day. Um, 
the tough part is, is do you just take Rodon and put him out there at that point, or do we slide Cease up and then throw Rodon after that? Or, excuse me, Wednesday was supposed to be Keuchel Day. Thursday right now is scheduled to be Lynn Day, so do you bump Lynn up a day, which would keep him relatively close to on schedule because you're going effectively seven days in between there. Um, and then at that point, you throw Lynn Wednesday, you throw Cease on Thursday maybe, and then we're going to Boston at that point. And do you just kind of put it back together there? That's entirely possible. That might be part of why Keuchel threw now, because uh, then you're going to get Giolito, you're going to get Lynn, you're going to get uh, Cease, and then you'll get Rodon, and then fifth day again, you'll get back to Keuchel. And things, the tough part is, is you're either going to have to go Giolito on four days rest instead and throw him in Boston to get things back in order, or you're effectively at this point swapping your one and two going, eh, they're relatively interchangeable. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Cleveland, after Bieber, they've not announced um, who starts. They have no probables announced as of the recording of this episode. So that'll be something to keep an eye on going forward, too, is you know Savali is going to pitch somewhere in there. Uh, outside of that, it seems like they're just kind of piecing it together at this point. So we'll see what happens. And kind of like the Royals, that, that that's supposed to be their strength you know, in their rotation. And uh, they've been pretty hot coming into this series, right? They've been doing okay in that regard. Yeah. But to I think the uncertainty in not having the top three guys or having three notable names go for you in a row, it, I think is telling to show how some teams are still still piecing some of those things together, like you put it. That this early in the season, yeah, teams are having to kind of scrape it together already, and it's you don't like to see it, but I suppose coming off of the short year last year, you kind of have to expect it a little bit. It looks like Cleveland did come out and announce Zach Plesac for Wednesday's game, and then for Thursday's. I kind of forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. that's. It's interesting, right? You forget about Plesak because usually you're hearing about Savale and you're hearing right. about Bieber. Right now, McKenzie, yeah, they haven't even announced anybody for Thursday yet. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be an exciting week. We have our pitchers are looking relatively strong, looking pretty good. We have a Cleveland offense that is scuffling a little bit more than normal, I think. And so I think that'll help our pitchers continue to gain some dominant confidence. The tough part is, is our pitchers look good right now. Our offense doesn't, and we're not facing the pitching that is really going to allow us to break free of that. Yeah, we got to get it all all together. We'll eventually the ship will stop rocking, and we'll it won't just be uh, offense, and it won't just be defense. We're going to find a balance. I just I can feel it, and maybe a maybe a series like this does that. I hope so. I really I really hope so. I I really hope that we can tag either Plesac. I from my fantasy team standpoint, I hope we don't tag 
Savali. I hope that's like a one nothing game. And it's not Savali. <laughs> I hope Savali goes for eight innings and they send out whoever their closer is and he blows it and we win the game. That would be great. Um I'm I won't complain. I'm not I'm not against you in fantasy this week, so I won't complain about that. <laughs> Good. After that we head to Boston for the weekend. So the next time we talk to you wonderful beautiful folks, we will be discussing what happened in the rest of the Cleveland series and we'll be discussing what has happened up to that point in the Boston series. With that being said, uh do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, I hate and I and I can say this with absolute certainty that I hate it. I hate the extra inning man on second rule. I hate it. I think it ruins ruins the one of the most special thing one of the things that make baseball more special than any other sport. And it's the the concept of extra innings and and having to manage through all of that. I think that and I I can't remember if I heard it or read it, but somebody was talking about how it it takes away from a team that is hitting really well or is is finding a way to manufacture runs not in a small ball small ball fashion that goes into a game into extra innings tied up and then a team that can't do anything but small ball and would have lost trying to do that the whole game and then can do that in extras ends up winning the game. So it changes the game so much that it allows maybe bad teams or teams that don't have the offensive flexibility but do have that one thing, it allows them to win more games than I think it should. So to me, I hate it. I don't really care what other people think about it. I other changes in any other major sport quite like it, and I think it's too far. An, an interesting take. Uh, An interesting last thing to go on, for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, my closing thoughts, I I have a feeling that I, I already put Cleveland on no-hitter watch for tomorrow, so I can't come back from that. That's out there. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to see a really good start out of Lance Lynn again. The, the fact that he pours in fastballs with the best of them, I think he's going to play well against that Cleveland lineup. And I think the Cleveland lineup is probably going to hurt Cease. Um, they're patient. His stuff is not going to play well with that. So I, I have a feeling Dylan's game on whatever day he ends up pitching is probably going to be a little bit rougher. But I look for the offense to break loose that day. I think that that's going to be the day that they, they break loose. Um, I don't have, apart from trying to channel Steve Stone and flipping tarot cards. I don't have any actual evidence for that. Uh, maybe you can talk to your good buddy Steve Stone and see what he has to say about that. But, yeah, I'll hit him up. Yeah. Um, and then it, the Boston series will be interesting. I think that'll actually be a better test for where we're actually at right now because the Boston Boston right now looks pretty good. Um, they have a couple of pretty good pitchers, and I think they'll be a, 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 they're another out of central t- 
team to kind of test. Cleveland's a team that we should beat. This is one of those those teams that last year we didn't beat them as much as we should have, and it hurt us, cost us the division. They're a team that we should beat. So if we walk away from this series with Cleveland at a split or loss, it, there's no there's no good outcome there. Um, I think we have to win this series in order to actually put ourselves in a good position. So that's my closing thought. It's pretty early for have to win the series, I think, but I understand the sentiment. I I think divisionally, I don't know that we have to win this series, but, but I understand what you're saying. I, the, I guess the overall idea is beat the teams you should beat. Right. And this is right now looking at it. This is a team that we should beat. We are built to beat these guys. We just need to do it. So, Thank you once again, everyone, for listening. We greatly appreciate your time. Wherever you get your podcasts, the biggest favor that you can do us is leave a rating, a review, interaction, feedback, whatever it is. And remember, find us on Twitter. I'm at Real Coach Rusty, and he's Matthew Ice 3 And we will talk to you next week.